0: What's up guys, today's podcast, we're gonna be talking to Toby Mathis about the changes potentially coming in the new tax regime, knowing that we are probably gonna have Mr. Joe Biden as president of the United States. And a little bit of announcements for you guys, make sure you guys check out our incubator, which is for new aspiring investors trying to pick up their remote rental property. And if those of you guys who are accredited investors and beyond, Check out our newly branded family office Hana Mastermind at simplepassivecashflow.com slash journey and enjoy the show. This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went, and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor, man. Hey, Simple Passive Cashflow listeners. Today, we have Toby Mathis here, a partner at Anderson Advisors, the guys who got me to pay no taxes. Thanks again, Toby, for that. Although <laughs> I was the one putting in a whole bunch of money into deals, powering the economy through the pandemic. So I'd say I, I earned it. We didn't do
1: anything. We just point you to where they incentivize you to invest in real estate.
0: Exactly. You do the rest. So today we are coming to you post-election and things are pretty early still, but we're going to be looking into the old crystal ball here and make some speculations on where some of the tax laws are going and maybe what strategies you guys can be looking towards to maybe even we got to pull the trigger before the end of the year, right? Possibly. The presidential election is looking like it's going to be Biden, but... Tell us what really matters here. Is it the president or is it the Senate or the House? Yeah, Congress writes the laws,
1: but the Senate, uh, but, but the president can always veto. So you have to be able to get over you, you, Basically, you have to have certain alignments. Otherwise, the president's just going to keep you from being able to pass certain laws. The House right now is going to stay Democrat. The Senate is a little bit up in the road. We're going to be at a deadlock. I think you're putting it up right now. There's two more runoffs I believe in Georgia that might impact things, but it's either gonna be a, a standstill. If you end up with 50-50, then the vice president decides. So if, the, if Biden and Harris are in the White House, then Harris could pass a deciding vote and you could have changes. If there's not that scenario, it's really difficult to pass anything without, you're going to have to get the Senate on board, which means it's going to be hard to move really dramatically in any one direction. What so, we know is what Biden has said he'd like
0: to accomplish. So pri- prior to 2020, this is a little bit of a history lesson for folks. So bill gets passed or tax law gets changed it is birthed here in the house primarily mm-hmm. democrats so this is where like the stimulus bill comes out what is it like 10 million and then it goes to the senate they mm-hmm. chop it down prior to this the republicans had the edge but it looks like it's going to be more of a gridlock more than yeah they both put out their own
1: bills and then they decide it kind of goes to a committee and they decide which pieces they're going to are going to get an active. That's where they all negotiate. So that, that's why you never really know what's going to be done until they actually pass. it. <laughs> Holy schmoly. What did you guys do? Uh, what's the old famous one? You'll know what's in it when, after we pass it. So it's kind of.
0: Or sometimes like they'll write a bill, a Republican bill, and then all the Democrats will veto it, but then they write the same exact bill. And then they'll pass it, but it'd be originated from the Democrat side. They always, they
1: call it the pork. This is what I want in order to allow you to get what you want. And that's usually not so good for the taxpayer.
0: Yeah. So let's kind of, from what we know of the Biden, what Biden was saying prior to the election Mm -hmm. and campaigning, where are things heading in terms of taxes? What, what do people need to be aware of? So the first thing to know is that the Tax Cut and Jobs
1: Act, which they called the Trump tax cuts, a lot of it phases out in 2025. And there's portions of it that start to phase out even now. But there's little bits and pieces of things that are set to slowly go away, like accelerated depreciation after next year, will start to drip down. You have other things like your solar credits that are already going down. You have things like the estate tax exclusion that's sitting over $11 million right now that'll revert back to the pre-tax cut and jobs act level, which somewhere in the five, five to $6 million range, depending on inflation. So there's things that no matter what, they're still going to move. Then you have the, hey, these are the things I want to change comments from the Biden team. And the big one was anybody making over $400,000, they want you to be in the highest tax bracket and they wanna move that highest tax bracket to 39.6. Then they also say, hey, if you make over a million dollars in capital gains or dividends, or the combination of those two, then we want you to pay 39.6 on your capital gains, which would be almost a doubling of the capital gains rates. They also say, hey, we don't like this 21% uh, tax rate on C corporations, we want to make it a flat 28%. And if you remember prior to the tax cut and jobs act, it was graduated. It would be as low as 15 and then it would go up to 39 and back down to 35. It was this bizarre. And they just put flat 21%. So for a really small C corps, it was a little bit worse, but for big companies, it was better.
0: For the so that was the work, sort of pre tries the big guys, right? To come back. That was uh, a push for that.
1: There was that what they wanted to be is more competitive on the international of attracting companies to put their headquarters in the United States as opposed to incentivizing them to go elsewhere. We were not competitive as a tax rate. They also had the hey we're going to cut the repatriation of your profits uh, down significantly. I think it was fifteen percent. I don't know the number off the top of my head, but I know that they reduced it so that companies like Apple or Amazon or some of these companies that have a lot of earnings offshore would bring them back in the United States and perhaps do local investing.
0: Are you a non-incredited investor looking for opportunities to invest passively? How about a newer investor looking to get a bit of a track record and confidence from your spouse, who's a little bit skeptic of what you've been listening to the last few months? And could you use the reinforcement of double-digit returns paid like clockwork in the form of monthly dividends? The American Home Preservation Fund, or AHP, is currently open again and is looking to bring new investors with them I have been investing with them since 2016 and originally I used it as a means to pay for my regular expenses. I started with $60,000 as my initial investment and that paid my car payment completely for me every single month. HB collaborates with existing homeowners to keep them in their homes via restructuring or selling the debts unlike their competitors. It's a way to make great returns while feeling good about making a social impact. After investing myself in the fund. It was awesome when owner George Newberry saw the impact Simple Passive Cashflow was making and eventually approached me to become a spokesperson of the company. You can start investing with as little as hundred bucks. And if you want a free Bird Zone book, please send me an email at lane at Cashflow.com. For more information about investing with AHP, go to HPservicing.com slash investors. I like to buy stuff. Well, that's a liability. So let's go back through these and I'm going to ask it from my own selfish perspective, which I hope the listeners are in that same situation too. But like the 2018 Jobs Tax and Jobs Act, I don't know what it's called, but it allowed of. for a bonus depreciation and a whole bunch of passive losses that you could extract from deals that do cost segregations, right? That's the one, whatever that one is. Actually, you don't have to worry about the real estate professional. That was actually changed back in,
1: I think it was '90. It's 469 C7, if I'm not mistaken. But that's carved into the code already. That's You don't have to worry about that. The bonus depreciation was, hey, if you have five, seven, 15-year property, uh, anything less than 20 years, you could choose to accelerate the depreciation. Assume that you have, a, let's say you have carpeting and you put $100,000 of carpeting into an apartment building. Normally you'd get to write off $20,000 a year as a deduction, because the the whole carpet will last five years. So you take $20,000 each year. What accelerated depreciation allows you to do is just, boom, take it in one year. In order to know what portion of your property is carpet versus cabinets versus fencing versus driveway, all these different lifetime of those particular assets, you have to do what's called a cost segregation. And there's always been cost segregation. You've always been able to do that, but now all of a sudden we have this huge incentive because about 30% of most buildings are five, seven, 15 year property. So all of a sudden you can accelerate your depreciation at any particular time. You can just, you can choose five years after owning a building, boom, I'm going to take it. And you have this acceleration where you can really uh, accelerate what you're able to do. Sometimes it's 50, sometimes it's a hundred percent. It depends on when you put the building into service, but, you can do the acceleration. And all you're doing, there's nothing crazy about it. You're just writing it off early. You're still gonna write it off over time, but it's almost like getting a loan from Uncle Sam for no interest. saying, hey, I know I'm gonna get the tax benefit over the next 20 years. How about you just give it to me now? Getting an early Christmas
0: present. So if you guys miss it, the, the rule of thumb is about a third of the building gets written off in the first year. But to simplify it even more, a lot of these deals, you're trying to max up the leverage 70, 80% loan to value. So what I've seen is passive investors that put in 100 grand, they're getting anywhere from 60 cents to almost a dollar back in that first year bonus appreciation. So 60 grand or 80 grand back, depending on the deal.
1: And it, it offsets, not to interrupt you, but it offsets passive income unless you qualify as a real estate professional. There is one other one, active real estate, but most people make too much.
0: That's the one that I'm really worried about, right? Like these, the passive loss gravy train, getting these super, just- That ain't going away. That ain't going away.
1: That ain't going away. What you might see is the accelerated depreciation, I think in 2023, so in three years, two years really, We'll start to go down to 80%, then I'll drop to 60%, and then go down from that. I'm not certain, but it may. I haven't looked at it in so long, Lane. It's probably, if it goes away completely, I'd be shocked. But sometimes it goes down to 50%, which is still pretty good. Not, we, we do a lot of cost segregations with clients where we'll direct them to have them done. Not always do we accelerate the depreciation, especially not on the five year property. Sometimes you just let it spread because unlike you, like you're a real estate professional, you had massive amounts of deduction, but it doesn't help you to get really to zero because the lower tax rates are pretty low. Like I'm okay paying 12%. I'm okay paying 22%. What I'm not okay is paying 39.6% on rents. I'm not okay paying 37%. I'm not okay paying 32%. Like it's getting too high, plus my state. So sometimes it's just about making sure that you're hitting that number. So I tend to look at 200,000 and say, if I can keep people around $200,000 a year, that tax hit's not going to be so extreme. You get up into the half a million, 600,000 range, every dollar, so much of it is being taken away from you. For every dollar you make, let's say we had the Biden plan. For every dollar you made, after a million bucks, if somebody was taking 60% of it, and that's really what it gets up to. If somebody is taking that much away from you, you're, you probably don't have much incentive to make money and it's hurting because it's not always cash that you're receiving. Sometimes it's profit that's flowing down via K-1 or your investment. You don't have the cash. Now you have to liquidate assets to pay
0: the tax bill.
1: And that's what we want to make sure that you're never in that situation.
0: So sometimes I think, just to summarize what Toby's saying, you have to be strategic on how you use those passive losses. You don't want to bury burn your AGI down to zero. Sometimes it's good to pay a little bit of taxes.
1: You can't help it because you're the sponsor and you're leveraging up. So you're going to get these massive deductions. Not everybody gets that. A lot of folks, they're just, they're not gonna pay any tax on rents the next 10 years because they got a huge deduction and they may be making $50,000 a year with with rental that they're putting in their pocket, but they
0: don't have to pay any tax on it. Yeah. So like I talked to my tax guy and he burned up all my passive losses. And I asked, Toby said I should pay some taxes, but the conversation that we had that I got on board on was like, he was like, you're probably better off paying no taxes and investing the money and just kick it forward. But it okay. depends on your situation, right? If you have if a, a- WT job, you're gonna be okay. And if
1: you need loans on a home or something, you need to have some income. If you don't need that, like you're leveraging on the asset, you don't need the income. So you may as well not pay it, use that
0: money to continue to invest. Yeah, so the Tax Cut Jobs Act Taxi. It's phasing out the passive losses, the, the accelerated bonus appreciation in the year 2022 and beyond. So it's is actually, there any... Look at that. I think 2022, you're safe. I think it's after 2022. Yeah, I think you're right. It We've probably got a couple more years of where the get-in's good. And that's plenty of time for me. But what is what are you thinking It's coming up in the future? Is like the Biden clan going to be putting getting rid of that, or I'm thinking that hopefully they can just focus on that 1031 exchange and leave me alone. And they want to get rid of of the
1: 1031 exchange. They want to get rid of step-up and basis. And that's going to affect all of us. That's huge. That's huge. For anybody who has substantial amount of real estate, that could be really painful. It's going to force you to have to get rid of your real estate during your lifetime because uh, it's not going to step up, which means if, if you've depreciated it, accelerated depreciation, then you're going to have some substantial recapture when somebody, if somebody
0: sells it after you've passed.
1: So I'm not too pleased about that
0: that one at all. Isn't the game plan there like, all right, the Democrats have it now. If you're 40 years old, surely in the next 30 years, some more tax-friendly leadership will get in there and swing the state taxes the other way. And that's That's when you take it. Yeah, that's the idea is right now the law
1: is what it is. And I tell people don't make dramatic switches until the law actually looks inevitably going to be changed. Because even when you think somebody gets in as president, they say, this is what I'm going to do. Good luck getting that through, especially if you don't have the the, the House and Senate. Good luck. If you have the House and Senate, fantastic. They might be able to, to get some things through, but even then it's not. It used to be you could filibuster it towns, but the it, it's still not a it, it's not a guarantee. And people oftentimes campaign on things and then do something else as well. So I tend not to make dramatic switches
0: until I actually see laws being drafted or changed and they have support. And even if we Biden Biden has won now, he's even in the first hundred days. It's going to take what another year, eighteen months for that law to go into effect for the previous tax year too so there's probably about a couple of years of turnover time i'm thinking mm, yeah i it could it, but you know, they could get something through in the
1: first year and, and again the way that the way it works is they can't go back and change something but they can say going forward so if you pass away i don't know if you remember this but i think it was the owner of the yankees passed away during a year where there was no estate tax at all we didn't even have the 11 million dollar cap it yeah, was, yeah seinbrenner this is yeah, not too long ago yeah so he avoided billions of dollars like he, he, the, the joke we all had was people are going to snuff out their parents like on december 31st if they're on their death they'll be like let me help you along here because the uh, the taxes can be so extreme the following day we're going to have a new year's eve party with a bunch of pillows it's horrible but that we were there was actually concern about that of oh boy if somebody's on life support they're going to have a real incentive to pull the plug it's 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 morbid but it yeah. actually was discussed in the tax world there was many discussions on it what would you do and so it's not always we think like these things have been debated for years I remember uh, when I first became an attorney the estate tax exclusion was six hundred thousand wasn't was not very high and a lot of people got hit by it and then it went up to a million and then it went to five million now it's over 11 million and that and then they said portability both spouses could use it it used to be we'd had to, we had to use a trust to double it up but that's still on the table and biden has shown it, all indications that he wants that to go back to the way it was before the Tax Cut and Jobs Act, but he also wants to eliminate that step up in basis. And the step up in basis in, in English just means, if I have a building that I've depreciated or a piece of real estate or stock, say I've owned stock for 20 years, and it's gone up in value, the day I pass, my the value steps up or the basis steps up to the fair market value on the date that I pass. So if I have a a building that I've depreciated and my basis might be a little bit of land, maybe it's 100,000, it's a million dollar building. Right now, if I pass, the basis steps up to a million dollars. I live in a community property state, so even my spouse could sell it the day after I die and pay zero tax, no recapture. If that goes away, then assuming that somebody had to sell an asset after somebody passes or wants to, cause they don't want to manage it and they sell it. Now they're going to pay recapture in capital gains on that. So they're going to pay up to 25% on the recapture and up to uh, under Biden, it could be 39.6% on the capital gains. So it's a pretty big hit. Now, the other side to that is if it's real estate, not only is is the basis stepped up, but you can re-depreciate it. You know, you you can go back and write it off again and you lose that. So that's flying under the radar. And that's the one that I focus on saying, that's the one that's gonna have the biggest impact on our clients,
0: because people who are investors are gonna get punished under that plan. And I don't like it. Because before the strategy was just Die and pass it off and they, your kids get the step up basis and you, you wash the asset. Yeah, the old strategy was accumulate
1: real estate and start in capital assets, 1031 exchange your real estate into more real estate, lever it, use those, use the proceeds if you need to for other things and then pass away and you don't have to worry about any tax and they could either re- de- depreciate it. So they're not gonna pay any tax on any of the rents for a long time. So you're going to depreciate it again after they've passed at that higher amount. And all of a sudden they're getting huge tax benefits or they sell it and they pay no tax. And so there was always that kind of the silver lining, especially in community property states where the first spouse, everything steps up. Dad passes and mom can sell the stock and not have to worry about getting hit with capital gains. Now, mom could be getting hit with as much as 39.6% federal plus the net investment income tax, which is 3.8, plus their state taxes, which can be as high as 13%. So you could be in a scenario where you're paying 50 some odd percent. It gets a little ridiculous.
0: So is the solution either to wait until a different uh, party is in there and changes the law again, or some kind of dynasty trust or a trust that, trust that owns the assets so it never ever does a step up yeah it's it, that's a tough one
1: because yeah because no matter what if I put it into trust the basis is the basis I'm done so when they it, there's really not much of a strategy on the step up you can do what's called a deferred sales trust on substantial assets where you spread it out over time and you allow a installment sale essentially and then you step up the basis and you sell it and avoid the tax immediately, but you spread it out over, let's say, 20 or 30 years. So there, there's still some strategies that you can do to, to lessen it. Realistically, under those circumstances, it's just you're sitting down going option A, B, C at the time. I've seen people make changes where they were scared to death. So I'll give you a good example. I had a client, it was uh, siblings. So there was five siblings. And the dad had a office building uh, and this particular office building was in Ohio, but it has substantial value. So they were worried about the estate tax. So he started giving away interest in the building was in a limited partnership. So this is back in the day when limited partnerships ruled the world and not LLCs. And he would give his kids these interests. So he transferred the entire building to his children before he passed He'd owned that building for going on 40 years. The basis was tiny. And then when he passed, it was in the year that they had unlimited the unlimited estate tax exclusion. So there wouldn't have been an estate tax at all. And he would have still been underneath the threshold. It was a multi-million dollar building, but he had given it all to his kids. So his kids said, hey, we're going to sell it now. Their basis was his basis, which was almost zero. So they got hit with this huge tax bill that would have been avoided completely had he just done nothing. And so I tend to look at attorneys that are pushing people to to do huge gifts or make big changes, and I say, don't do that. You don't know what the future is going to be. You could make you could really hurt yourself. And those kids, that hurt them. They were like there was a little bit of a dispute over whether they wanted to keep it and operate it. But it was like, they didn't have the depreciation. So they actually had income coming in off this thing. And they were like, oh my gosh, they had to do some fix up on it. There was some capital call issues. And so they decided they wanted to sell it. And instead of getting a dollar, they were getting 60 cents. And because it's not cheap to sell a building, you're paying the commission, you're paying the real estate tax, the closing costs and all these things that eats away Plus you're paying long-term capital gains on that thing. And you have a lot of recapture on the original building and the the improvements that they had done thereafter. It ended up really hurting them. And it was shocking to look at it. And I'm talking to the accountant who advised him the whole time. And I could tell he was like, oh, that was what the dad wanted to do. They (laughs) overreacted to these law changes.
0: It's similar, you never know, right? Like a lot of this is the art form. You never know what's gonna happen. You gotta play, you gotta stand there and play goalie and you don't know which way they're gonna kick it. Yeah. In this situation, it's, it makes sense to procrastinate. And it reminds me of one of my biggest pet peeves is like my clients, they always wanna file their taxes in April, what are you doing? Just wait till October, that's when it's really due. Like just sit back and wait as long as you can.
1: What <laughs> I had a guy yell at me. He wanted wanted us to file the uh, S Corp in, in, in March. And he goes, I've never been late. And I said, you're not late. You're entitled to an automatic extension that'll take us out to September. And he goes, I have never used that. I've never been late. And I kept saying, look, your tax payment is due on April 15th. You had probably some quarterly taxes due. Like as long as you're paying that, we're not worried about penalties or interest, right? Their tax return itself has an initial due date of March 15th that you can automatically extend. You don't have to ask for permission. You just say, I'm going to use my extension. He forced us to do it. And then it goes close to September and he had made more than he realized. And he had a 401k and he had taken a really substantial salary. And I said, the sad part is we could make a pretty sizable contribution to your 401k for last year but we can't do that now. Why can't we do that now? You know, because you forced me to file yeah, well, this,
0: this idiot came in and told us to do this. From that point forward, we didn't have to have that conversation anymore. Yeah, it's so usually the A students that, that want, think you want to do that.
1: There's a few that sometimes you beat your head against the wall. The other one was they'll change K1s. So you know, you're syndicator. Sometimes things change during the summer you start finding out other expenses and you're going through your books and you're sitting there and you're like you, you have a couple of choices like i could either fix the k1 and give everybody a new k1 the problem is if they filed their taxes off the first k1 that came out now they're going to have to amend and so i always tell people like wait till the last minute so that you're investments have a chance to make any changes. The, the fun one was the year that the option reporting, the basis reporting in brokerage houses came out and they all used the same software and it was all incorrect. So they sent out all these tax forms to their clients who ran out and filed their taxes and then they corrected them about a month later after the tax deadline. And so you can either get audited or you can fix it. And now you're gonna to have to amend your return, and you're gonna to pay to basically do your return again.
0: I always, I, we always try and get it out in March, before the April deadline. But I always feel yeah. like at least half, a little, probably less than half, still file it in April anyway. But
1: there's no um, reason to do it. There's no reason to file. Just even if your return is done, just don't file it. Just file the extension, pay the taxes, and you don't have to worry about it anything. It yeah. gives you the opportunity to go back and revisit. Issues because you do have until the tax deadline to make contribute company contributions to retirement plans. So you never want to take that off the table. You also have, a, you could be doing a cost segregation election all the way up until October 15th. So you don't want to, that one we could actually go back and amend, but why? Like, why would you put yourself in a situation where you're paying twice for something when you could just wait and do it once?
0: So going back to the whole simple basis might be going away. And, and this is just a bigger strategy that I've always said. It's like, why would you want to own your own properties? if, you, Especially if you're not a professional operator. Mm-hmm. Just be a passive investor, split your nest egg up into 50, $100,000 increments and just bankroll a big amount of passive losses. And you never have to worry about any of these types of things one way or another.
1: Yeah, there's something that you can do no matter what they do. Because you still have exempt entities and exempt entities are like your 401k, your IRA, your Roth, IRA, Roth, 401k, but also 501c3s. And and you've known me enough that that this comes up quite often. With anybody who has substantial wealth, that 501c3 is your best friend because it gets it out of your estate, and you get a tax deduction now. So worst case scenario, let's just say that Biden and the Senate and the House conspire to take away 1031 exchanges and, and the step up in bases. They increase capital gains rates. They they create a 39.6 percent top tax bracket that your dividends and capital gains can be taxed at if you make over a million bucks. Itemized uh, deductions are already gone, but it, they were talking about bringing it in, but having a it's. Basically, it's only for people making less than 400000 They have a kind of a funky calculation if you make over 400000 where it goes away. I can still give things away. I can still take a, a charitable deduction for it, even if it's a capital asset. And I can write a lot of that stuff off at my fair market value. Once it's in a 501c3, I'm not worried about step up or estate tax or anything again, because it's not mine. And my heirs still have access to it. So those types of strategies will become even more important, which just means there's only so much stuff I need to own personally and have access to personally. Sometimes it's better to get it into a vehicle where we never have to have these conversations ever again. The vehicle doesn't pay tax. And I love those because the only conversation I have with people then is how much do you want your kids to be able to take out of the business and we know it has to be a reasonable amount. So nobody's going to be buying Lamborghinis off of your estate. But nobody's going to be able to go in there and just rape and pillage your estate. The best scenario is they're operating something that's in your, that you created, and they're able to take a salary for the rest of their life. And then that can go to the next generation. Right.
0: So, so what Toby is talking about is creating a nonprofit, creating that estate and being able to, what if a guy wants, maybe not a Lamborghini, but he wants to take a $200,000 salary for his kids mm-hmm. buy a Camry in the process. Does that, now you have to pay taxes on that? Right? Yeah, they pay taxes, it comes out.
1: And I'm not talking about private foundations either here, guys. There's a lot of things that qualify as real estate excuse me, as a charitable activity in real estate, veterans housing, low-income housing, HUD housing, moderate-income housing, housing for, you fill in the blank, if it's a disadvantaged group, single moms, we've seen it all, residential assisted living, you can own a substantial amount of real estate. Or if you're actually operating a charity, doing something else, it's allowed to own passive real estate. So like the California Teachers Union owns a ton of, like lots of buildings that's their prime like they have a lot of investments in things but what is it there for it's a retirement plan for teachers it's an exempt organization so there's lots of those and there's a misnomer that somehow that money is is never for your benefit no you can take a salary you just can't take the profit out there's a it's called private annuity it can't go to the benefit of any private individual the profits so i can't just take it what i can do is continue to operate it for what i set it up for And it can, it's going to grow and it's going to grow extensively. And then you pay people a reasonable salary is very subjective depending on how much you want to do. And yeah, then they pay taxes. They take that out, but if they don't need the money, which is what I see, I'll tell you, because we've done over 4,000 of these, it's a one-way road. People tend to put money into the charities. They take very little out and most of the kids that I've seen as we transition, because we've been doing this over two decades, you start seeing a situation where the kids actually can get behind it, and then they're using it to lower their tax brackets as well. I haven't seen it where people are taking ridiculous amounts of money or trying to get access to money because they're investing through that vehicle. And uh, I like it because all these conversations become moot. As they say, well, how much tax am I gonna be paying? None. You want to give it a house? You're going to write off the value of the house against your adjusted gross income. What? I've owned this house for 20 years and I only paid $100,000 for it. Now it's worth half a million. Yeah, you get to write off the half million. There's an adjusted gross income limit of 30%. So maybe you're going to write it off over three or four years, but you're still going to get a pretty sizable deduction. People have a hard time getting their head around that. And then that asset is in there and it never pays tax. You don't have to worry about who dies or any of that stuff. I, I, I just find that for, again, for the affluent, the people that have a lot of money, that is something that they definitely should be looking at. When you're in real estate, like the type of real estate you do, Lane, the tax benefits are so ridiculously good right now. You don't need to. But after you've after you've used a lot of the tax benefits for you, if they take them away, then you still have an alternative without doing anything crazy.